as we make plans and attend to practicalities for the ending of the retreat. As Tanissa encouraged us yesterday to uh, reflect on this, contemplate this, notice this, that the uh, true chan, the, the true cultivation of, of wisdom, is not limited to sitting uh, quietly. It's not uh, limited to one's got it wrong if one thinks it's just making one's mind not think anything. Though it's useful to be able to notice our habitual thinking and to learn to see the changing nature of thought and to realize that thought is actually not a thought, that thought imparts a sense of thingness breaks up the world to discrete things that we contract around and claim and reject. And yes, it's useful then to start to sense that process, see that process, and and to see the changing nature of thought itself, and to learn how to put thought down, too. But if we think that uh, real chan, real wisdom is just not having thoughts, then we've, we've, we've created the Split that's the very antithesis of John, the very antithesis of the realization of uh, that which is, which isn't split. Form is not different from emptiness. Emptiness is not different from form. Form itself is emptiness. Emptiness itself is form. There can be wisdom with thought, without thought. Just like it's, uh, we contemplate the in-breath, we contemplate the out-breath. We notice maybe where we get more. Maybe we get really excited on the in-breath and tend to fall asleep on the out-breath. So we know where we need to attend. So uh, attend, we tend to get very lost in, in thinking and in activity. But that's our opportunity to, to practice uh, with the mind when it's moving. And to question while the mind is moving, Chan, Chan questions using our wisdom while the mind is moving, is that really movement? My ne, is that movement? Is that certain movement? Or is there stillness within that movement? Just like we can listen to the stream and, and we can hear the moving nature of the sound, but we can also, when we accept that, recognize that, know that for just what it is, we can notice the stillness within the movement, the peacefulness of listening at ease. And we can notice the movement within the stillness and realize that stillness, movement, both are just ways of talking that don't capture the suchness. So we work with the business, also the business of the mind, and learn to be at ease with that, learn to see how that is. But we still have this opportunity to 
to use the uh, structure, structure of our retreat, sittings and walkings in our noble silence. I think that will be very helpful today. Uh, uh, but to not uh, expect our minds to be absolutely uh, still, to, to allow our minds when they move into planning or they move into sensing where we're going, to, to try to get a perspective on that movement, not just try to crush it or not just collapse into feeling, oh, I've lost it just lost it. Make that a practice to actually allow us to bring into the heart, to allow arising to the heart where we're going and know that also that's not certain. We think we're going. We're not necessarily going to go. I mean, maybe all the airlines will be frozen for the next 15 years. We don't know. You might have just moved to Dharmagiri. You might have. Welcome. We don't know. We expect. We intend, but that's all right. We intend, and uh, to encourage a thought of home or a thought of our situation, and notice, notice what that brings up. Can we listen to the sounds of the world at ease? Kuan Yin doesn't crush the sounds of the world at ease. Kuan Yin doesn't obliterate the sounds of the world at ease. Kuan Yin doesn't get hypnotized by the sounds of the world. Kuan Yin listens purely. The Kuan Yin, the prajna, the the innate awakening, that which we can in any instant turn to, use. And so the sounds of... We're human. And and, uh, as it is said, if if it was just a question of... um, stopping thinking, then all rocks would be enlightened, you know. It's not just not having any thoughts. But it's useful to know a thought, listen to the sound of a thought, see that it's not actually a thing. It's a process. It's empty of thingness, empty of solidity. When we realize that, then we learn to be able to have a thought and let a thought cease. We can learn to let, not lean on thought. That's what no thought means. The Buddha still had thoughts, spoke a lot, but he also said, after all these 45 years of speaking, I haven't said a word. He spoke and he didn't speak. So we can... can, um, courageously, you know. Know that it's natural for the mind to to move. So we make that a practice. See if we can notice the thoughts of home or the thoughts of what we're going to do. Notice if that kind of stirs us up. And if it stirs us up, can we then listen to that? Be with that. Be patient with that. Whatever it is, realizing that even if it's a thunder storm, that the pristine nature of the sky is not damaged. Can we listen to stormness, turbulence, if that's what comes up? Learn to know it for what it is. Remembering where we started, maybe we can revisit it uh, in a new and fresh way, that where we began this retreat, that the 
remembering that this practice is not taking us anywhere else. That even though we're planning, maybe, what we're going to do, what might be useful, that we're not actually going anywhere. That actually this practice more and more takes us to the recognition that we are where we've always been, here, now. The appearances change within this timeless here, now. We see mountain, we see sea. We see airports, we see cars. We see feeling good, we see not feeling good. In a sense, the, one of the biggest misconceptions the Buddha said is the idea that the mind is inside the body. He said, really, the body is inside mind. This great mountain, the rivers, all of that is arising within mind, ceasing within mind. And as we began to remember that, that vimuttisarasabhedama, that, uh, that at the core, at the essence, sabedama, of all conditions, every circumstance, that includes storms, that includes turbulence, that includes thinking, that includes peacefulness when we're in a really sublime state. Vimutti means there's, without walls, freedom, unbounded, unlimited Vimutti. Sara is, is the essence of that. Sabedama, of every single condition. So we practice then with working with the conditions. When we tend to get lost in the conditions, we still of thinking or planning or reflecting on what's coming. We could still use the practices that, uh, uh, that we've uh, laid out. We can still use this body. Remember as we began using the body to cultivate this mindfulness. Stabilizing the attention on the body. Linking the body to its ground, to the ground of awareness. Referring the body to the knowing in a moment of, ah, it's like this now. As we link with the body, then there's the revelation of how the body actually is. We can notice the breathing in, the breathing out, stabilizing the attention. And using thoughts. Remember, thoughts aren't the enemy. When we get lost in thoughts, yes, that creates samsara. But we can then use a thought. Use a thought as a pointer. That's what Chan was doing. Chan was using thought to point back to what to this timeless principle of wakefulness. It was a directed thought, but it was a directed thought just here. Back to the core. Who? Similarly, it's similar. We can use a thought to remind us to to notice if we're getting lost. Ah, there's a body. It's breathing, stabilizing us. Don't get fooled by all these different words. There's a mindfulness of the breath. 
There's calm, there's insight, there's the holding of the name, there's Chan, there's Mahayana, there's Theravada. They seem like all these different practices. All these different practices point to the same place, every one of them. Mindfulness is the Ekayanamaga. Theravada quote. Just wasn't translated very well over the years. It's translated as the only way. Sometimes I really so thrilled that this year I saw that uh, that that uh, ekayana means one. It's the way to the one. Because mindfulness is using the buddhic principle, the awakened principle, to notice, to stabilize attention on what is. And why it's the way to the one? Because when we stabilize attention on what is, like the body breathing, then it reveals itself, as Ajahn Chah said to me. The first time that I met him, you understand one thing, you'll understand everything. Things getting too complicated, be simple. Be with an in-breath, be with an out-breath. Be with an in-breath, be with an out-breath. Be humble, be patient enough. Rather than wanting to understand everything now, understand one thing. In-breath arises and disappears. Then the out-breath arises and disappears. What arises ceases. The insight that allowed Kundanyo, the first disciple of the Buddha, to enter the stream, to have his eye of Dhamma open, was that simple insight. Whatever it is, a breath comes and goes, and that reveals to us what everything else does. A day begins and ends. A retreat begins and ends. A thought begins and ends. The lifespan of a physical body begins and ends. A sound begins and ends. So already that mindfulness is giving rise then to panya, to wisdom, or prajna. We then is revealed the changing nature. And the changing nature reveals the unreliable nature because what is changing can't be relied on. Yeah, we can rely on it, but if we sit down on something that's not stable and it collapses, we fall. So check out what we sit on. Birth is about sitting on, leaning on, making assumptions about. Body, forms, my body, my wealth, my family, my country, my whatever. Feelings, the tendency to feel good or not to feel good, to like something or not like something. Our thoughts and perceptions, our plans, our impulses, our intentions, our wishes, our moments of knowing themselves, the moments of knowing a sunset, of knowing the dreadful feeling when we've just said the wrong thing and revealed our petty nature to the world to see. Moments are all unstable. 
all anatta, not mine. So that the mindfulness, those moments of mindfulness, flow into, are not different from, ultimately, the wisdom that realizes that. In realizing the anicca dukkha anatta of what we take to be me and mine leads to viraga, leads to a fading away of, of, of grasping. Why? Because it's just so obvious. That weariness, weariness of being burned, weariness of looking for certainty, as Ajahn Chah says, where there's no certainty, the dispassion starts to come. Through, through seeing, not through convincing ourselves, through seeing for ourselves. It's a gra- but it's a gradual process. But these online kitties, all that's you're, you're of the, I don't know which school it is, you're of the, the northern school. They were the gradual ones. Southern school's instant, instant enlightenment. So just make it clear you know where you're at, Kitty Saul. I'm saying, well, I was walking yesterday with the road. I was walking, doing my uh, chan with Jack. I love walking with Jack because you can contemplate the stillness within the movement. It's wonderful because in the movement of walking, where is stillness? When you're really still, if you think it's still, you should notice the movement within the stillness. The heart's still beating, but it's not bothering us. Sensations are vibrating, but it's not bothering us. We're still. Stillness within the movement, movement within the stillness. There's such a sense of in movement or in thinking to think, oh, I'm moving now. So it's useful while walking, Jack, to be contemplating, where's the stillness here? And when still, and and then to get to where you're not, you realize each of those terms doesn't capture what is. Anyway, I was happily contemplating with Jack. He's reading the news. That's his reading the newspapers, as JP says. He sniffs this. Notice who's been here in the last few hours. Sniffs that, nibbles this, pauses. And then I heard this boom. It didn't have a, the the universe didn't crash and I didn't uh, have a blazing, uh, irreversible awakening, but it uh, it was interesting. It was a great big acorn. It had fallen off a tree. There wasn't a breath of air. Great, great big acorn had just bam, come down. And you know, the, no air, no nothing, no birds flying that I could see. You know, so there was this point at which it, you could say that's sudden, when it just suddenly, that connection was severed, broke, pop. But the process leading to that point, it's a gradual process. And uh, Master Wah explained this. Though the awakened principle is immediate, because it is, that those of the direct school point out that our, the true nature of things is, our Buddha mind is, the original brightness is, this question of noticing it. The Prajnaparamita Sutra, the main purpose is to remind us there's no attainment 
You don't attain anything. But, and so in an instance, not that one creates that or attains that, one, Tanisara called it uh, recognizing it or awaken to it or notice it. And so though that is instantaneous, though that's quick, the, the process of, uh, of little by little abandoning the false views which keep us from seeing. Little by little abandoning all the wrong views. Similar to the fruit. The fruit, the ripe fruit drops off in an instant, but the ripening process is gradual. So you can say it's immediate, you can say it's gradual. It's the same. Chan reminds us that those are just ways of talking. And so at the beginning, Ajahn Chah's way of describing this, the beginning was, as I started on the opening evening, at first we learn the Dhamma. That's study. We study. We learn the Dhamma, but we haven't yet understood. Then we understand the Dharma. So conceptually we have a sense of it. We understand the Dharma, but we haven't yet practiced. Then we practice the Dharma, but we haven't yet seen the Dharma. Then we see the Dharma. We see, we touch, we know for at first a moment. The Dharma eye opens, we taste peace, we know peace. We're not grasping, we're not rejecting. We're with what is, feel the relief of that, the brightness of that. We've seen the Dharma, but we've not yet become the Dharma. Najan Shah says that becoming the Dharma is a, is a difficult thing. He says that... Uh, So the practitioner may study the Dharma, understand the Dharma, practice the Dharma, see the Dharma, but to actually be Dharma is something quite difficult. It's a place for each individual to reach, a point where there is no falsehood. It's difficult, but it's also inevitable. Why did Ajahn Chah in, in, in encourage uh, me by telling the story of the chipmunk? It keeps falling down, keeps falling down, keeps falling down, keeps falling down. But eventually, eventually it's able to do what its mother does. We keep falling down, we keep forgetting. We have moments understanding, practicing, seeing. We keep falling down. But why, why could he with confidence say uh, one day he could do it? Because it's our nature. That's our true nature. That's why the Buddha could, could say, you know, in the Lotus Sutra, you should have no further doubts. Let your heart be filled with joy. Just be open to this possibility. You will reach Buddhahood. You will awaken. because that's the nature, that is our nature. But that's a gradual process. 
That's why in the Prajnaparamita Sutra it says when Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara was practicing the profound Prajnaparamita, he illuminated the five skandhas. That's, that's a gradual uh, practicing. That's a gradual process. That's what we're doing. That's what all this is about, is looking at that which blocks us from noticing the Vimutti Sarasa Bedama, the, the freedom at the core of all conditions, we, start, we need to look at the different conditions that manifest in our heart, these focuses of the grasping mind. Illuminating them means, means to contemplate them. And so one of those conditions is plans. We make plans as human beings. Is it, uh, it's not a question of never ever having a plan. But can we make a plan and realize it's just that? It's tentative. It's an intention. It's a thought. Can we explore that today? So we just reflect on, on this cusp. Cusp from the retreat into to moving back to uh, whatever our situation is. He illuminated the five skandhas and saw that they're all empty. That's a moment. That's a scene. That's not finished yet. We have a moment of seeing a thought. It bubbles. It's there. It appears to be there. And then it's gone. It's empty of solidity. We seem so upset. It's so real. I just can't believe so-and-so did so-and-so. Then it shifts. Oh, It was empty. It was there. It's gone. Not what I thought it was. Moments of seeing. And then cross beyond all suffering and difficulty is explained. That's, That's keeping on going. That's keeping on going. That's keeping on going. That's keeping on going. That's why the process. We keep practicing. And we're not going anywhere, but we continue the practice of what? Mindfulness which leads to the ekkayana maga, which leads to the one, to the non-dual one substance of our home. What blocks us is this ancient, 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 ancient tendency to focus and identify with, to contract around something, thingness, meanness, you-ness, what I like, what I don't like. That's birth and death. So the Buddha, the Buddha taught in many different ways how to counteract that. So let's remember, it's, 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 it's we have this ultimate tool we've been practicing, uh, John, uh, you know, using our diamond-like wisdom to see into, cut through all distinctions. But to, to remember the Buddha also offered us, uh, that, that that underlies everything that we do, but he also offered very practical guidelines about how to, uh, about this path. Very practical Sometimes the, the path of the Buddha is described in three words, dana sila bhavana, generosity, 
Bhavana, which Tanisha talked about yesterday, the bringing into being, the cultivation of the heart, the samadhis, the wisdom. Dana's generosity, sila is restraint, bhavana is wisdom. Generosity, very helpful principle to contemplate as we go back into our more everyday life. And noticing this, this uh, tendency, there's a tendency of the mind to find certainty in what I can get. Even in meditation, it's wanting to get attainment, it's wanting to get somewhere, it's wanting to get some understanding. Or in more worldly sense, we, we, we seek happiness by holding on. The, the, as a foundation of practice, the Buddha taught that uh, the path to happiness is, is going against that unconscious tendency to seek happiness through grasping. To counteract that by tasting the happiness of sharing. Notice what happens. That takes you to a measureless place. Like the story of Charles when he was intent on hanging himself. It was so difficult and he was sure the end of suffering was just to destroy this body and turn the lights out on this wretched existence. He was sure that was the way. He was going, sinking, sinking into a whirlpool. Yet when he noticed my teeth were chattering, saw me shivering, something stirred in him compassion, and there was generosity, something flowed out of him, it flowed out, a gesture, sharing, he had a thick leather jacket, I was shivering, he just made that simple gesture, and for that time, it's quite stark in its contrast, snapped him out of it, and we then started chatting, he was, you know, there was connection, it was to realize that that's uh, grasping is a turning in, but it's a it's a wrong kind of turning in. It's not shining the light within. The generosity opened him up to 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 something a wider field, and that can be practiced in so many ways. Offering our best wishes doesn't look like much, but notice when we're contracted and we're really going through a difficult state, even the thought is, may my patience with this state, may my understanding of this state somehow help others who are in this state. May my understanding of this state be shared. My patience with this state affect others. Even that sort of thought immediately creates context. You realize you're in a context. That's the salt crystal principle. Helps dissolve the obstruction. We can share our time. We can share our thoughts. We can share our work. Whatever our work is, this is my offering. This is my offering. Learn to let what we do be an offering. Our practice can be an offering to the Buddha, to the Dharma. 
to the way. It's so different from if we're practicing unconsciously just trying to get understanding. Get insight. Notice what that does to us. Notice is what happens when we share. It it automatically brings us to a place where we're more likely to see vimutti sarasa bedama. We're more likely to realize that freedom that's in the midst of conditions. Heart's more open, measureless. Sila, restraint, is a is a refinement of giving. Sometimes we're so exuberant, we give to the world what shouldn't be given to the world. Sometimes we exuberantly act on something that harms ourselves or harms another. So uh, sila is translated as restraint or learning how to say no to certain impulses. Harming, taking what doesn't belong to us. Our sensuality sometimes can can make us can lead us into grasping at a relationship that's not appropriate, like having a relationship that someone's already in a married relationship or a committed relationship, or, or, or someone is underage and we're taking advantage for the sake of our own pleasure. We're taking advantage of another being. That's, these are just some of the examples the Buddha listed of, of impulses that he said you should learn to be able to see, see it but then restrain, not act on that. So that, that generates patience, wisdom. You let that go. Speech. Restraining wrong speech, false speech, divisive speech, harsh speech, speech which is only meant to hurt. Now, Buddha would use strong speech sometimes, but it wasn't just meant to hurt. It was meant to wake up. It was meant to warn. It was meant to jolt maybe someone into presence. That's very different from speech that's just meant to hurt. That's harsh speech. Or speech that's just totally meaningless, frivolous. It just blows a smoke screen into the totally diverting people into what has no use whatsoever. Sometimes speech can lighten things up. Maybe that has a usefulness. But the, the Buddha talks about letting our speech be meaningful. So, so the restraint, restraint of speech, restraint of acting in ways that uh, abuse our consciousness, like intoxication, seeking Nibbana through just getting stoned or wasted, as they used to say, or not knowing the pain because we're drunk. But that's a false nibbana. And not only that, we come back down, but then the very instrument of our awakening. What's the instrument of our awakening? Panyuttarasabhidhamma. Wisdom overcomes all conditions. And it's out of that wisdom comes vimutti sarasabhidhamma, the freedom which is recognized as the essence of all conditions. And our wisdom is, is the using of this instrument called our consciousness, our mind, our, our awareness, when we muddle that. So that's an example of some restraints. And again, restraint has a measureless quality to it. It's an extension of giving because when we don't, intentionally harm or kill, don't intentionally steal, don't 
exploit our, our sexuality or others' sexuality or sensuality. We restrain our speech and, and, and refrain from intoxication, which leads to carelessness, as the Buddha says. When we do this, the Buddha said, there is a measureless offering that we're making. We are offering. How did the Buddha put it? He says, when we do that, when we restrain ourselves in those five ways, those five precepts, the Buddha said, these are five gifts. They're pristine, of long-standing, traditional, ancient, unadulterated, and never before adulterated. He said, for example, when we give up the destruction of life, abstain from that, we then offer immeasurable beings freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression. So when we make that intention not to harm others, we're offering. So it it links us to all these beings around us. We're offering them freedom from fear and, and oppression. By giving immeasurable beings freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression, he or she himself will enjoy immeasurable freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression. This is the first of those great gifts. Each of these precepts when we do it is a gift offering immeasurable beings freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression. Generosity, restraint, all these come out of mindfulness. They all come out of touching this moment. Sharing, restraining what shouldn't be shared, and in the process sharing something more subtle, sharing a gift of freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression. All this offsets this contraction that leads to birth and death and obscures us from seeing our innate purity. Puja, what we are chanting, you know, uh, at, uh, in the lay life, it's very, uh, or it's not necessarily chanting, that's one way of doing it, but in the lay life, it's so easy to get all caught up in our responsibilities. In monastic life, you have all sorts of structures on retreats, all sorts of structures, morning gongs, bells, noble silence, dhamma talks in the morning, dhamma talks in the evening, surrounded by dhamma books, all that in, encourages us. So sometimes the, the devotional side doesn't seem so important. But Tanisha and I, our experience of being here in Africa and not being having the protection of the monastery anymore is that that is a very helpful, skillful means of uh, breaking out of this unconscious contraction and being mesmerized and hypnotized by all these voices of me and mine, worry and anxiety and upset. And the thing about the the devotional practice is, is you're using this mindfully, this body, this speech, this mind, and just having a word like Buddha Bhagavato, 
filled with blessings. Arahato, far from defilement. Or like Dhamma, Sanditikos, always here and now. Ehipasikos, always inviting us. When you just, these words open us to the measureless field again, remind us that, uh, that what's happening now is happening within a measurelessness. Sangha, those who practice well. You know, it's, again, it's a directed thought. It's, it's using thought to help us come back to that which is skillful. So really to explore in, in the whole range of devotional practices that we've uh, offered, just explore what, what might be possible for us to, to continue. Obviously, the ultimate devotion, the ultimate devotion is to, is to see into the true nature of things and merge with the Buddha. That's the ultimate devotion. You know, Chan, the waking up to that this Buddha mind is here now. That's ultimate. But as Ajahn Chah says, don't pretend you have a ten-wheeler truck when you have a wheelbarrow. I mean, you know, that should be enough. Just Buddha, mind is Buddha. End of story. And for some, it's enough. If you're already, if you're like that acorn that's just right on a sliver and it just needs a tiny bit, or if you like, you know, but but for some of us, for a lot of us, that's wonderful to keep coming back to. But sometimes they have skillful means, skillful means to recollect the Buddha, recollect the Dhamma, recollect the Sangha, recollect, hold the name of the merciful one who listens at ease. Just some skillful means of helping bring us back. All these are skillful means. And ultimately, all these skillful means are bringing us back to this one moment, this one place. Wisdom which will overcome and surmount every single condition, revealing that at the core of every condition is this timeless freedom. Amatogadasabedama, and that all the sense of this and that we realize is merging in Nibbana, merging in this one suchness. Nibbana pariyosana sabedama. Terminating all the separate sense of thisness and thatness ceases. We find ourselves back to the ultimate simplicity.
finishing with Dodaka's questions to the Buddha from the Sutta Nipada in the way to the beyond. The Brahmin student Dodaka was the next to speak. Master, he said, I so much want to hear you speak. Please, Master Teacher, explain to me. Can a student of your teachings find the calm of Nibbana for himself? Any student of my teachings, said the Buddha, who is eager, intelligent and aware, here and now, can find the calm of cessation for himself. I can see now, said Dodaka, that there is in this world a man who has nothing, a Brahmin, a wanderer. I bow down and honor you, sir, the eye that sees everything. Please, man of Sakya, free me from confusion. It is not in my practice to free anyone from confusion, said the Buddha. When you have understood the most valuable teachings, then you yourself will cross this ocean. Have pity on me, Brahman sir, said Dodaka. Please teach me the way of detachment so that I can know it as it is, so that I can live in this life in peace and independence that is as free as the air and space. I will explain that peace which is not based on hearsay and is attainable here and now. It is a peace which, when a mindful person understands it, releases his hold on the world. Master Teacher said, Dodoka, it can only bring me joy to hear about an ultimate peace which, when a mindful person understands it, releases his hold on the world. In every direction, said the Buddha, above, Below, around, and within, there are things you know and recognize. When you realize that these are the things which tie you to the world, then you can lose the thirst of craving, the desire for constant becoming. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.